Act One of Crossings, a Fairy Play by Walter de la Mer. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Crossings, a Fairy Play. Characters Mr. Charles James Wildershin. Read by Larry Wilson. Sarah or Sally, his first daughter, read by Emma Hatton. Francis or France, his second daughter, read by T.J. Burns. Anthony or Tony, his son, read by Thomas Peter. Anne, his third daughter, read by Campbell Shelp. Miss Agatha Wildersham, his sister and their aunt of Bayswater read by carol pelster reverend jeremy welcome vicar of little crossings and a friend of the children's aunt susan who is dead read by eva davis miss julia welcome his sister read by avai josephine their niece read by linda olson fytak lady minch of the hall great crossings read by anita sloma martinez Mr. Josiah Widge, the cabman of Little Crossings, read by Scotty Smith. Mr. John Budge, the butcher of Little Crossings, read by Nemo. Mrs. Budge, read by Nicalia. Jemima Budge, their small daughter, also called Polly, read by Tricia G. Mr. William Honeyman, the baker of Little Crossings, Read by Lynette Calkins. Mrs. Honeyman read by Elsie Selwyn. Emily Honeyman, their small daughter, read by Devorah Allen. The Candlestick Maker of Nowhere, read by Chuck Williamson. Beggarman of Everywhere, read by Elsie Selwyn. The Queen of the Fairies, read by the Story Girl. Fairies, Numberless and Innumerable, read by Nikalia Schwartz. Mrs. Marshall, The Family's Cook, read by Elsie Selwyn. Stage Directions, read by Todd. Act One, Aunt Agatha and Bayswater. Time, a foggy Saturday afternoon, the 7th of December. Scene, a large, drafty, forbidding drawing room with a small fire in it, in Bayswater. On the left is a lofty window, casting, with its draperies, a dim and stagnant light into the room. High doors painted in shades of brown are to the right and between the window and the bleak marble chimney-piece. On a stool, in front of the vast brass fender, squats Anne, a child aged about five, with all her dolls. Her hair is parted in the middle, and severely plaited on either side of her smooth round cheeks. It is of the rarest, fairest tinge of gold. Her Aunt Agatha has designed her clothes. She peeps out of her body as if out of a cupboard. Sally, a slim dark girl of seventeen, with a gentle mobile face, is seated before an old-fashioned black piano as the curtain slowly rises. She speaks in a low, clear voice, and as if out of her thoughts. Her hair is drawn back tightly from her forehead. Her Aunt Agatha has chosen her clothes. Anne, to her dolls, now you must be as quickerly quiet as a mouse, Oddsbodikins. Samoval, you mustn't whoop, please. 
Sally is going to sing you to sleep. She rocks her favorite and ugliest doll, Sarah, to her breast. Sally, in faintly tragic mockery, sings, Break, 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 on lay cold gray stones, oh, see. Then twists the accompaniment off into the first four bars of Sally in our alley. She stoops over the keys. Silence. Without, the lamplighter lights the lamp. What shall I sing, Mummykins? The fog's in my throat. Sometimes, Sally, you sing such extremely sad songs. They make odds bodikins cry, they do. Cough the old frog out. Sally sings. Dark-browed sailor, tell me now, where, where is Arbury? The tides a-flow, the wind a-blow, tis I who pine for Arbury. Master, she her spices showers, o'er nine and ninety leagues of sea, the laden air breathes faint and rare, dreams on far distant Arbury. Oh, but sailor, tell me true, twas man who mapped this Arbury. Though dangers brew, let me and you embark this night for Arbury. Wails the wind from star to star, rock the loud waves their dirge and sea, through foam and rack a boat drift back. Ah, heart-beguiling Arbury. Towards the conclusion of the song, appears in the doorway on the left, and, chin on ample bosom, stands listening in rapt solemnity to Sally's strains, Mrs. Marshall, the family's cook. She is of the shape of a tub, has a little bonnet on her head, and carries an immense brown paper parcel, a pelican-handled umbrella, a bulging handbag, etc. The music ceases. The fog darkens. Mrs. Marshall, pensively wagging her head, Music have charms, Miss Sally, but a mournful, lugubrious song for your young ears, with them hair-brained young fellows gone and drowned, in an empty boat, though not as I ever much envied my poor sister at South End, shrimps, niggers, and all. I've come, Miss Sally, to take my departure, and your aunt not at home, as wasn't to be expected to shake the dust off my feet, and the silver counted three times, and not an egg-spoon missing. Oh, Miss Marshall, don't say such things. I simply can't believe it. What shall we do without you? Why, there, Miss Sally, partin's a partin, and you can't drag nobody back, even in a land of so-called Christians, once they're gone, which isn't what I'm hoping to do yet a while, never having been a rolling stone nor set much store by moss. What I'm saying is, law forbid, I should complain. Light work I never found, two kept a twenty, and me a scullery maid in a nobleman's family, when I was scarcely out of my cradle. Fifteen years, and your poor mother and all. I've seen you are growing up like grains of mustard seed. And but there, it's not for me to be throwing stones in glassed houses. I'm going to my daughter's, Miss Sally, my Rosie's, to a home, which in Bayswater cannot be found, referring only in a manner of speaking to number eight. Yes, yes, Miss Marshall, I know, I know. Not that I'm working about in my words to deny that your aunt means well, Miss Sally, though I never knew anybody what meant well worse. But theirs are heavenly courses, Miss, and neither here nor there. With a prolonged shake of her large, little bonneted head, she waddles over to Anne. Good-bye, and God's precious be with you. You poor, small, innocent bundle of motherless love and your babies and all. She hugs Anne to her capricious bosom. Good-bye, darling, darling cook. I loves you, I do. Bless your sweet blue heavenly eyes, and maybe you'll come and have a bit of dripping toast to your tea with your old Miss Marshall, when your poor pa's his own man again. To Sally. 
There, Miss Sally, you're looking peaked and wan in your pretty cheeks, and nobody that can be called a man to watch the roses fade, but the proof of the puddin's in the eatin', and may the Lord be a comfort to you all. She is going out when Frances, a tall, straight, reddish, boyish girl of about fourteen, in a large-checked coat, strides in, carrying a parcel. Cooksy comes! Faithless, perjured Cooksy comes! Only just in time! Unkind, unnatural creature! You are actually going without saying goodbye to me? And here I've been lavishing all my fortune on you. She rapidly exposes the contents of her parcel. Yes, slippers, bedroom slippers. Oh, miss. The very largest in stock, the man said, roomy, and made especially in two layers for private wear in bed. Take them, ungrateful thing, before I dissolve into tears. Oh, but Miss Frances, you shouldn't. You shouldn't, Miss Frances. I couldn't. I couldn't, Miss Frances. But you must and you must. I insist. I'll be hurt. I'll howl. I'll tear my hair. I'll jump up the chimney. I'll... I'll give them to Aunt Agatha. Oh, but really, Miss Frances, you shouldn't. I couldn't. You shouldn't. I couldn't. They go out, wrestling and disputing. Their voices die away. Anne, ponderingly... We haven't any friends now, have we, Sally? My dear. She goes over to the fire and kneels down beside Anne. Frances returns, ruffled but triumphant. It's a shame, Sally, a wicked poisonous shame. She was positively crying, her tears all salt down my back. To think of it, Emma gone, cook gone. She seizes the poker and plunges it into the fire. A pig, a perfect incomparable pig. Sally, glancing nervously at the door. Shh, Francis, think what you are saying. She may be in at any moment, and you know we are not allowed to poke the fire. Anne, sagely staring. If you poke that fire, France, it'll go out, it will. France, dear, we must try, try and be patient. Patient? Aunt Agatha, it's sheer tyranny. Sheer, black, medieval, evil tyranny. Look at the guys she makes of us. I won't be a slave. What right has she to practice her silly old theories on us? In an icy, superior voice. Education, Francis, means to lead out. So it does, on a chain. Some day she shall see, even if I can't bark, I can bite. But, France, dear, what is the use? We do nothing. We see nobody. We never so much as poke our noses out into the world. We are just bits of dumb, ugly old furniture, like you, old forelegs. She leans forward, whispering hotly. Last night, Sally, I lay awake thinking, and I made up my mind. I just made up my mind that sooner than growing up Aunt Agatha's way, I'd cut off this wretched old pigtail, jump out of the window, and run away to see. I want to see things. I want to do things. I want to go all round this oblate old spheroid and up the other side. I can't breathe in this cage. If you went and jumped out of the window, France, you'd break your leg. When the Dawson's housemaid fell out of the window, she broke all her legs. You know, Francis, dearest, it is useless to grumble. I agree there isn't much, much liberty. I might be still in the nursery for all I can see. 
and now even Miss Marshall's gone. But there... She dabs her handkerchief at her nose. No quas, no crown, France. Anne, cheerfully to her, Sarah. No quas, no crown, Sarah. What's more, my dear, but you mustn't breathe a single word. Life may be going to be an adventure, after all. Father's been talking to me. He is most dreadfully worried about money matters. He doesn't think we can possibly stay on here. And, and now, a letter's come. She glances over her shoulder, listens a moment, then whispers. We may be going away. Sally! Going away? Where? When? How? Into the country. To a house in the country. Frances leaps to her feet. A house in the country? Sarah! My Sal! Oh, marble halls! Oh, Bayswater! Beloved aunt, farewell! Will there be paddling, Sally? Not paddling, mummykins, but woods and fields and haystacks and cows and geese and rocks. Moo! Moo! Gobble! Gobble! Ka! Ka! And Christmas! Nan! Holly and mistletoe and icicles and real white country snow! To Francis. Of course, nothing can be settled until Aunt Agatha agrees. And it's not quite certain whether she won't come with us. Francis, loringly. She shan't, Sally. Poppy and mandragora and all the drowsy syrups. But where, you black-locked angel, where? It's Aunt Susan's house. Crossings, where Mother was a little girl. Poor Aunt Susan died a few weeks ago, you know. And I think the house has been left to Father in her will. I see it. Francis, it all comes darkly stealing in. But, my dear, this is what's called in the books Eureka. This is bliss. No more prep, no more algebra, no more scales in that musty, fusty old practice room. No more when I was your age. This loathsome den. Oh, Sally, Sally, it can't be true. To hide her emotion, she buries her face in her skirts and breaks into an extravagant keening. Tony appears, a schoolboy, about thirteen. He has forgotten to take off his too capricious top hat and is carrying an umbrella and a battered portmanteau. My child, these tears, what can't be true? She's not... He points a solemn kid-gloved finger towards the zenith. A better place. Sally, horror-stricken. Tony, Tony, you've run away? Tony, imitating his aunt. Alas, my poor Sarah, no. Merely mumps. 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 What's mumps, Tony, please? What, oh, Sister Anne? You're glad to see your poor old half-starved Tony, ain't you? Hands in pockets, he broods over the fire. The others join him, and they presently sit in a row, their backs turned on the world at large. Tony continues, sententiously, all the other fellows, dancing their eyes at. Billy Bones made a rag up about it. He chants dolorously. When breads are sawdust, and suets and lumps, and every man jack of yous down in the dumps, then hay for chicken pox, high for whooping cough, ho for measles and mumps. Not much fun coming home here, sister's mine. Where is she? Marooned in the fog? You can't see a cab horse outside until you are stunned by his nose-bag. And Sally, has my... has a letter come? Anne, solemnly. We're going away, Tony. Crossings, Tony. Moo, moo. Gobble, gobble. Caca. 
Sally and Francis nod violently. Tony, incredulously. Hmm. Gobble, gobble. I know. Good for geese. Sally and Francis nod more violently. Well, going away. What of it, you chuckle-headed mandarins, if she's coming? It's not really quite, quite settled yet, Tony. And you mustn't breathe even a single syllable. But I feel in my bones it will be something, well, different. There's no doubt we are a very bad and stupid family, but I do think it can be good for one to never be allowed to do a single wicked thing for a... for a decent reason. It makes life a kind of trap. Father's in it, too, you know, poor dear. But so is Aunt Agatha, for that matter. Just cages. Cages? Even a miserable canary has a lump of sugar now and then. Cook told Emma that sometimes men put little birds' eyes out to make them sing. That's cruel, that is. They crouch in a desolate bundle over the sinking fire. Silence. Enter, soundlessly, Miss Wildersham. She is the portrait of which the Bayswater drawing-room is the frame. Followed by Mr. Wildersham, she surveys the scene. Most refreshing, a really happy family. What was I saying, Charles? How poor Susan would have enjoyed the picture. The children start up simultaneously and stand in a dumb glum row facing her. I am loath to disturb you, children, but I must remind you, Sarah, that it's five minutes past six and that Anne is not in bed. I must remind you, Francis, that your face is the color of a red Indian's and that you are not doing your preparatory work. And I must remind you, Anne, that only one doll is allowed at one time in the drawing-room, and apparently someone has been disturbing the fire. Francis vanishes. Tony fumbles for his portmanteau and begins to edge furtively towards the door. Sally, with a deep sigh. Yes, Aunt Agatha. Anne, having made a wild clutch at her dolls, is let off. She breaks into a steady, dismal yell. Oh, Sally! Samoval! Samoval! You know he's got whoopin' corf. Mr. Wildersham sinks, with a groan, into an armchair. Tony's fist has closed upon the door handle. His aunt sweeps round upon him. And pray, Anthony, what brings you home with your hat and your umbrella and your portmanteau? Mumps. Oh, mumps this time, is it? Mumps. I sincerely trust, Anthony, it is not mumps, which prevents you from pronouncing your aunt's name. Cough, boy, or blow your nose. You were going to speak to Anthony about his report, were you not, Charles? Mr. Wildersham wearily passes a report to his sister and sits with fingers together, gloomily gazing into the fire. She adjusts her lorgnette, opens and silently reads the report, with an occasional ominous glance at Anthony. Miss Wildersham, suddenly glaring up at him with a fixed smile. On second thoughts, Anthony... It would seemingly be advisable to discuss this remarkable document tomorrow morning at an early breakfast. Your masters appear to be of one mind, that you haven't any. 
your sisters might profit by it and it will be something for us to look forward to sardonically pointing to hat and portmanteau and now remove these baubles you will find bread and margarine in the kitchen and excellent cold water in the tap no doubt you are exhausted after the term's exertions and would like to go to bed tony goes out he is heard in the distance forlornly whistling britons never never shall be slaves mr wildersham poking the fire i cannot understand agatha why this room summer and winter always strikes cold for my part charles it is not the room that strikes cold young people do not require artificial warmth it is this crazy legacy of susan's we have just surprised our fauna in their wilds i ask you charles are they the kind of creature on which to make such a demented experiment in common fairness agnes you cannot visit susan's eccentricities on me she too had theories about the bringing up of children so have you she did not think that mine ours had enough freedom enough life and responsibility her argument was that human beings of any age who are not happy cannot be wise by her will she leaves crossings to me and trust for sally and the others on two conditions first that as i have explained they spend a complete fortnight alone there and next that at the end of it they themselves confess that they have been happier and have proved themselves to be wiser than they were when they left your charge susan seems to have entertained a touching belief in the school of experience however high the fees may be school of fiddlesticks pray charles are children intended to be happy is any one who tries to do his duty happy am i happy has my sex won its rights and liberties merely to be happy and who may i ask is to judge whether they are wiser are they no that is to be the ordeal of the vicar of little crossings mr jeremy welcome hmm mr jeremy welcome what will happen mark my words charles the children will simply run wild they will overeat oversleep underdress and do no lessons sarah will run up ruinous bills with the tradespeople her good heart as you call it will welcome every beggar and footpad that comes whining to the door francis will read trashy novels anthony will be out at all hours of the day and night he will smoke burn and burrow crossings will become a byword for miles around as for anne she'll be kidnapped or stray off into the woods and be lost that's my prediction i see nothing but evil wherever i look mr wildersham pacing up and down i am sorry agatha it is not exactly a cheerful view i am immensely grateful to you you have um, mothered the motherless but well uh, think of my position 
servants gone income going this house is impossible we cannot i am well aware have you um always with us however crazy the scheme i have no choice to refuse would be neither fair nor prudent besides i confess i am a little curious i am anxious to see what the children will make of their opportunity let me be candid i am restless ill at ease susan's letter has brought the old times back to me crossings he casts his eyes toward the ceiling i begin to to doubt this house these draperies these angles this still life this appalling hush draperies angles hush what are you saying charles there is a gloom a demoniac gloom a what gloom i said demoniac i blame nobody i blame he starts forward can't you see can't you feel it ah the very air we are being hunted i implore you charles control yourself this isn't seemly a protracted pause mr rollersham gloats out of the window into the fog enough of this fatuity i am to understand that the children are to know nothing of this insane proposal they are simply to be flung to the wolves that i gather is another of your poor susan's conditions exactly they are to go to crossings alone and to fend entirely for themselves he flings a cushion from one chair to another liberty equality fraternity the shibboleth i believe of such french moralists as rousseau and robespierre i wish you well of susan she has passed over and my lips unfortunately are sealed you have told sally so far but i must explain further he rings the bell rings again then calls out of the door on the left sally sally enters her shoulders draped in an immense fringed funeral shawl yes aunt agatha and why my dear sarah this charming array it's so cold in my room my fingers wouldn't hold the needle aunt agatha besides anne is very restless so i was going to bed and where is your dressing-gown tony's feet were so cold i-i the good samaritan in her prettiest shawl mr wildersham on his medal at last the fact is sally i have decided that you and the children shall all start off for crossings on tuesday sally shuts her eyes to conceal her rapture yes father uh, your aunt uh, or mrs dobby um, may or may not come with you or be there when you arrive if neither comes you will have to carry on by yourselves for a while does that prospect alarm you my dear sally looks at her aunt and wriggles a little closer into her shawl no father you won't miss us sarah uh, not much miss you aunt agatha i shall indeed 
and oh daddy she kneels down beside his chair and hides her face on his knee how i shall miss you and i do pray things will come right i'm holding my thumbs for you tight please sarah we are not acting a charade why what's this anne enters from the left in her nightgown hugging her large ugly doll oh oh be careful aunt agatha she is walking in her sleep lost in dream her eyes wide open her right hand lifted a little into the air anne comes to her aunt gropes over her dress touches her cheek miss wildersham starts back with a peculiar cry of apprehension anne wakes stands staring oh she turns away in dread and runs to sally 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 i dreamed it was a fairy a dark silence falls the gas flame of the street lamp begins to leap and dip casting unpleasing shadows into the gaunt room mr wildersham puts up his eyeglass on my word agatha i don't like the the feel of all this to use your own word it isn't seemly unreal as if as if arranged you know like the beginning of some sentimental childish play and yet god knows this is a devil-fearing household miss wildersham motionless cod charles devil charles do you realize who is drinking it all in after a last desperate gasp the flame of the street lamp expires curtain end of act one